Welcome to the BioCurious Podcast with your host, Kayla Osterhoff. As a health scientist, biohacker, and generally curious person, I'm always looking for new ways to optimize and integrate mind, body, and spiritual health. I created this podcast to explore the magic and science of human biology and expand your consciousness through learning. If you enjoy the episode that you're about to hear, please leave a review and share it with someone who can benefit from the information. Now let's get curious. Hello, BioCurious community. This episode, our guest is going to talk about fitness. Unlike the fad diets and quote-unquote performance training guides you see on social media, our guest has a PhD in biomedical engineering research, along with a bachelor's and master's degree in business and marketing. He is the inventor of the most efficient bone density building medical device, which has helped thousands of patients with their physical injuries. The research indicates that this product builds muscle much faster than conventional lifting and does it in less training time, all with the lowest risk of joint injury. With his findings and hard work, he is now a nominee of the National Medal of Science. He is the inventor of OsteoStrong Devices and the X3 system. It's our pleasure to introduce Dr. John Jacquis. Lastly, we at BioCurious Podcast would like to thank today's episode sponsor, NeuroHacker Collective. NeuroHacker Collective's mission is to create the best in-class well-being products by employing a unique methodology to research and development based on complex system science. They have several product lines from the cognitive to the sleep and energy line. Use discount code BioCurious at checkout to receive 15% off anything including subscription services. And stay connected with us on our Instagram at BioCurious underscore podcast. Welcome, Dr. Daquish, to the BioCurious podcast. I am so excited that you're here. And thank you for taking the time to share your knowledge with us. Kayla, thanks for having me. You are the scientist and the brains behind a fitness piece of equipment that I am very interested in, which is the X3 bar. And I'm sure that many of my listeners are familiar with the X3 bar. So I'm so excited to talk about all of that. But before we do, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into this field of work? Sure. Yeah. It, well, in the development of the, uh, the medical devices to treat osteoporosis, which which was all stimulated by the fact that my mother had osteoporosis and I wanted to see what I could do to address it. Uh, and, and I did and reverse her osteoporosis. And so people with that concern should go and check out an osteostrong location. Uh, but through, the, through that process of that, that medical device invention, I realized that really what we're doing with standard exercise is is completely lacking and by comparison to what i had observed really stupid uh like like we have a sevenfold difference in our capacity to create force from strong range to weak range yet we only use the weight that we can handle in the weakest part of the movement Therefore, the strongest part of the movement 
is you know, the muscles basically shut off. So also in the weakest part of the movement, we're exposing the joints to the greatest amount of cumulative damage. So really standard fitness does a great job at damaging joints and does a really lousy job at stimulating any growth at all. And uh, that's why I wrote the book, Weightlifting is a Waste of Time and So is Cardio. Uh, now, the problem with cardio is that uh, and there's, there's research on this that stretches back 40 years, but the fitness industry has never been smart enough to really understand this process. So you talk to a sports physiologist and they're like, yeah, cardio is not really the, the answer for weight loss. But you talk to somebody in the fitness industry and they give you the opposite. Uh, the opposite answer, and it's only because there's just a, a zero understanding and no interest in understanding the scientific literature. So uh, when it came to strength training, which is, I think, what, where, you know, where you want to go today, uh, I, I realized that we can fatigue the muscle in accordance with its actual output capability we could stimulate a lot more growth than we'd ever get out of using a static weight, but we need a weight that changes as we move. So you've tried band training before, right? Yes, I have. I actually have well, not, not tried the X3 bar yet, though, okay. as I told you before this, it's been on my radar. So I do eventually want to try it, but I, I am a fan yeah. of resistance training with bands. Right. And bands are great at delivering higher forces where you're stronger and lower forces where you're weaker. But the problem is if you're using anything, like bands were also great for rehabilitation. So you go into a physical therapist's office and you see bands hanging on the wall or in a, you know, in a, you know, sort of bin uh, in the corner of the room and uh, they, they pull them out to do outward rotation of the shoulder or some smaller activation type movements but nobody's like doing chest presses and squats or bands because the bands had traditionally been anywhere from like five to 15 pounds which is not a strength relevant level of force so if you make the banding strong enough where it is relevant, and remember, you're seven times stronger in your stronger range than you are in your weaker range. So this is far beyond what you would actually handle in weight training. Um, it'll twist your wrists and your ankles to the point where they may actually break. So you could break a wrist or an ankle by using an appropriate force with banding alone. And I... So when I looked at developing the product, I said, okay, well, bands by themselves are worthless from a strength training perspective. So what we really need is uh, actually something from the fitness industry that actually works, uh, a barbell. We need a barbell that has rotation to keep our wrist neutral at all times. And then we need a second ground to stand on uh, so that the banding the uh can can flex and move underneath also needed to look at a specific quality of banding most bands are made out of petroleum like oil um and uh i i wanted to use a higher level of quality that would provide a stronger level of force and wouldn't wear out 
nearly like petroleum would. And so that was tree latex, you know, from rubber trees. Mm. So, uh, so then I developed uh, the world's strongest bands. Like the bands are 50, a hundred times stronger than the type of bands that you'd see at like Walmart. And then of course it comes with the, the bar and the plate so that you can deliver these incredible forces into musculature where you can handle them and trigger an extreme amount of growth. Mm. Yeah, so I was curious in looking at the product a little bit more before our talk today. Um, I actually used to work in physical therapy for several years um, back when I was um, getting in undergrad and in my master's. Mm. And I, uh, we did a lot of work with bands, as you mentioned, and part of the reason for that was to utilize the eccentric movement to build muscle, whereas a regular um, weightlifting routine would only use the concentric uh, movement to build muscle. So is that part of why the X3 bar is so much more effective? Well, you get, you get loading in both directions. So you get both yeah, eccentric right. and concentric and right. you get it at, at a magnitude that you never be able to get with a weight. So like when, when I do a chest press movement, I hold 540 pounds at the top, but then when I lower the bar in an eccentric manner, I'm holding 300 pounds in the middle. And then I continue to lower it. I'm holding 100 pounds at the bottom. And the bottom is where you injure. Mm, and so, yeah. so then as I go through the movements, uh, I can do however many repetitions I can do with 540 pounds until I can't get there anymore. And then I'm exhausted, but I can still do half repetitions with 300 pounds. And then I can't mm. do those anymore. My last one or two repetitions are with 100 pounds in the weakest range of motion. So I did train the weakest range of motion to absolute fatigue, but the more powerful range of motion came ahead of that. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense and would be really pertinent for injury prevention um, for sure. So tell us a little bit more about the, why this is so much more effective and what kind of results you get as far as muscle building, because I know, as you mentioned, you wrote the book, uh, weightlifting is a waste of time. And I think a lot of people, especially weightlifters would be triggered by that statement. And yeah. so explain a little bit what you mean by that. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I did pick a title that was, a little attention grabbing. And I, I think it's really funny when people are offended by a collection of scientific findings that I've put together because how could science make you mad unless- Oh, science you're... makes everybody mad. <laughs> well, right. Uh, but no, it only makes fools mad. It tells you people look at science and say, yeah. well, that's a scientific finding. Now, yeah. yeah, at times it's like the scientific finding may be limited Right. Uh, you know, like I remember the the meat causes colorectal cancer study, and then you look into it, and the, you gotta look the at people, who funded it, who conducted it. Well, the, they found a thousand yeah. people who, for forty straight years, ate nitrate meat. Yeah. As in, yeah. like an Oscar Mayer hot dog every day for forty years. 
<laughs> now, if you eat an Oscar Mayer hot dog every day for 40 years, is did you do it for health? <laughs> if you did, then I am scared about who's your health teacher. <laughs> well, right, right. You, they yeah. didn't do it for health. And are these people more likely to be smokers and drinkers and yeah. intravenous drug users? Probably. Right. So, yeah, and they had a 2% increase rate of colorectal cancer. They probably had a 10% increase rate of all mortality death. Like, mm. they could die of anything because these are clearly people who don't care about their health. So, of it was course, a stupid study. It was a stupid yeah. Study. <laughs> well, as a researcher myself, uh, I know that there are a lot of studies out there that I think you would qualify and so would I as stupid, <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. but it's unfortunate because there's a lot of influencers out there who are trying to educate folks on scientific topics and they have no background in science. And so they actually don't understand how to read yeah. the research and yeah. analyze it. Yeah. yeah, you have to really understand how to analyze research and how it's done and make sure the methods are done well and ethical and yeah. also who funded the research who conducted the yeah. research all of that is really important and a lot of people ignore all of it yeah yeah uh yeah most most nutrition research that um like like vegans are big fans of uh it's funded mm -hmm. by nabisco right. and and you know it's and it's whatever nonprofits that are you know, supposed to be serving humanity by providing, you know, research in, in health and nutrition. And really they're trying, they're trying to sell more cookies and crackers because Nabisco knows vegans don't eat vegetables. Most of the time, most mm -hmm. of the time they eat cookies and crackers yeah, and other it's sugary products. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it is unfortunate because a lot of people don't have the knowledge uh, like you and I do or the skill set to decipher uh, yeah. quality research from poor quality research. And sure. so they just kind of end up believing whatever's out there. But that's why you're here uh, on this podcast specifically. So right. tell us about the research that led to the research that you based this book on about weightlifting and also that led to the X3 bar. Yes. So first was my, when I did the, the, the first sort of big clinical data assessment of the medical device, I, that's where I discovered the seven fold difference, uh, from, from, I call it impact ready range as in, if you trip and fall, how do you protect yourself? Those are our strongest positions of our body. Uh, so we go from impact ready range to a weaker range. And uh, in doing that, uh, I, I, I really like just looking at that data, I thought, God, weightlifting is terrible at loading the body because we have so much more capability that we're not using. Uh, now, I'm not taking anything away from the sport of weightlifting. That's still a thing. And if you want to participate in the sport of weightlifting, you have to lift weights. But if your goal is to be as strong and as lean as possible, you do not have to lift weights. And if you don't, you will do better uh, because of this new method that I describe in the book. So that was the first point that I came across was my own research. And I thought, wow, like I've got this information that nobody else does. Uh, I, I think I'm going to have to build a product here and uh, file for some patents and, and then go look 
if I can find any other existing literature that supports this. So I found 16 different studies that showed that variable resistance, including higher levels of variance, because some of the variable resistance studies were done with like weights plus bands. But I mean, obviously we know what weights do. And then if you add a tiny bit of variance, you get a, a dramatic increase in muscle growth. So there's still people that are like, well, that we don't know if it's weights or it's variance. It's like, yeah, we do because we've been testing weights for years. So we have that baseline. So uh, then, then other research came later on to show that that level of variance, more specifically, a higher level of variability triggered much more growth. So I wanted to stay within the parameters of the sevenfold difference, but had to be lower because we, we definitely don't want like a one rep maximum type situation. We actually want kind of higher repetitions. So we have a sarcoplasmic effect as well as a myofibril effect uh, within, within the muscle, meaning we're gonna work on the structure of the muscle as well as storing fuel for contraction within the cells. Cause those are really the two different ways that a muscle grows. Uh, not, not as triggered to fire because there are some neurological aspects to that, but, um, just pure growth. So we want the maximum of both in one experience. And by having a high level of variance, uh, I knew that would happen. And so that's, that's how the product was designed. And, and those 16 studies, they're, they're all laid out in the book and described, uh, mm -hmm. very well. And so, you know, there's the 32 pages of the book is really about how and why I designed the X3. And then the rest of it is just sort of all, all other mistakes that have been made in the fitness industry and nutrition and how we can fix them very easily. So there's a lot of actionable information in there, but mm. uh, ultimately, ultimately it's, um, you know, we're looking at like, why would you lift weights? if you know the stimulus is awful and inefficient. Here, here's another example. Why do we do multiple sets? Like, like when, when you go to get a suntan, you don't do multiple sets in the sun to, to stimulate the skin. You just, it's one exposure. Yeah. So why do you do multiple sets with weights? Well, because the, the stimulus is terrible. That's why. Mm. So you have to stimulate over and over and over again to get any sort of effect. Uh, well, with, um, with what we're doing with the method described in the book, uh, you, you just fatigue the body one time, one muscle group, one time, and you'll see more growth from that than an hour, like 10 sets of squats or, or, or whatever somebody may be doing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I won't say it's easier because you do go to a deeper level of exhaustion. Right. But you, you get a much greater stimulus. And yeah, there's, there's people who complain about everything, right? Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of complaints. Well, you know, if I can't do five sets, then I don't want to do it. Okay, your objective is not doing more exercise. Your objective is developing your body as quickly as possible. Yeah, and I would like to do that with doing less exercise, yeah, <laughs> personally. Absolutely. 
So t tell me, walk me through what it looks like. Um, for instance, what is your routine with the X3 bar and how do you make sure to work every muscle group or is it possible to work every muscle group with this tool? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, every muscle in the body, uh, you, there's eight movements, eight basically barbell movements. Uh, and there's a different setup and you, you need the bar and the second ground, which is what we call the ground plate. Uh, that the, the banding can stretch underneath. Uh, so the channel that the bands run through that you're standing on top of. And uh, yeah, the workout takes 10 minutes. We split the body two ways. So it's sort of like pushing muscles one day, pulling muscles the next day. And uh, you, uh, it, you start off doing four days a week and then you graduate to doing it six days a week. So you stimulate every muscle group three times in a week. And uh, you, you definitely notice the growth. People can see muscle growth in the mirror within a week. Very cool. So yeah. personally, um, I am a duathlete. So I run and, and I compete. Um, I actually made Team USA this year and then all the races got canceled, unfortunately. <laughs> but no, uh, yeah, but um, weightlifting is or not really weight lifting strength training is what I call it because I mostly just do body weight stuff personally. Um, and because I hate the gym and the people in there, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but yeah, me too. I mostly do body weight training. Um, just because I'm not a big fan of like free weights and I worked in physical therapy for enough years to see a ton of injuries people yeah. not properly lifting weights and people not having core strength to be able to properly lift weights. Um, so I see this as a benefit of, of what you've developed as well as avoiding injury because you're going to be building the muscles that you need that are more stabilization muscles in order to lift heavier weight or use a, a heavier band. Um, but even for me as a, as a, you know, mostly endurance athlete, um, which is 99% cardio, I right. do need to keep a certain level of muscle building, um, yep. and certain level of strength, which does require strength training. So right. for somebody like me, what would you recommend as far as, um, utilizing the X3 bar for kind of that cross training purpose with cardio? You have, so like cardio is like, I, you know, I said at the beginning of the show, cardio is a lousy way to go about being lean, but if you, yes, if you need I to do cardio, that. if you need to do cardio, there's no way around it. You have to do cardio. Like, right. Well, like the it's cardio, not like you can my, use the X3 yeah. and be a better marathon okay. runner. No, well, actually I don't, I disagree with that. I think that it could make you a better marathon runner. You just can't replace running oh, with it, I mean. but you can supplement I mean. it. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. That like yeah. X3 on its own is going <laughs> to make you heavier and stronger. And when you're running marathons, you want to be lighter <laughs> and actually, you actually want to be weaker because uh, in, you know, in certain areas, you want to diminish muscle mass because it's just extra weight to carry around. And you yeah, be, definitely. Right. The more advantageous yeah. power to weight ratio. 
Uh, right. And when you said, just to kind of go back to something you said before, when you said, you know, cardio is a waste of time, I agree in what I think you're trying to say, but I don't agree in that statement wholly because for your cardiovascular health, like for your heart health and your lung health, um, it is very beneficial. And for me, actually, I don't run or bike necessarily for health. And I actually don't think running is a healthy thing to do physically, but it is excellent for my mental health. So I just wanted to provide that little caveat. Yes. Uh, now, if, if you look at cardio, so like to be a better marathon runner, you have to run marathons. You have to train your body to carry itself with the proper length of stride, which is very different than a sprint stride. Uh, there, it's a whole different thing that you're doing. But there has been more than 100... Uh, studies in I'm, I'm looking for the meta-analysis right now mm. which I'll, I'll probably give you later and you can put it in the show notes yeah that'd be there's, awesome. there's a meta-analysis with more than a hundred studies that show that strength training will improve your cardiac health more or equal to than cardiovascular training and there's a few reasons for that one is the muscle that's built is there all the time putting a higher demand on the heart. So it's performing at a higher level at all times. The other one is that there, well, the, the other one's really like, like defeating a myth. So the more muscular somebody is, the more out of breath they can get, but that doesn't mean they have poor cardiovascular health. It just means they're, they're running a bigger engine and it's pulling more blood. So like when I run up a flight of stairs and I weigh 240 pounds and another guy, runs up the stairs that weighs 140 pounds, he won't break a sweat, but I will, because my legs may be four or five times bigger than his. And it's just drawing more blood and the heart has to work harder. But that has right. nothing so you're to moving do with more, health. Yeah, you're moving more weight over, it's weight over distance. So if you just go to right. that very yeah. simple uh, algorithm, then it makes sense that if you have more weight, meaning more muscle, and over the same period of distance of somebody who has less weight, less muscle, then your body is going to have to work more to achieve that goal. That's right. Yeah. Um, so kind of back to what I was um, wondering, your opinion. So for somebody like me, who is more of a um, runner, biker, type of athlete, but I do really take my cross training seriously mm -hmm. and, um, would love to optimize it and take less time to cross train if possible. What kind of a protocol would you recommend, recommend for somebody like me? I would do the standard X3 protocol. Uh, that's mm -hmm. going to make you leaner. Uh, also it'll give you like, like most cardio athletes have uh, diminished bone, uh, bone mass because mm. as you're, so you, you have very high levels of cortisol chronically. Cortisol yeah. does really three things. I often say two because we're not talking about bone, but it diminishes bone density. It sacrifices muscle and it preserves body fat. So you, you, you keep your body fat longer uh, because that's the storage system. 
When you got to go long distances, your body wants to maintain a bigger storage tank of energy and it wants a smaller engine. So it's getting rid of muscle and a smaller frame to make you lighter. So it's sacrificing bone density. So what you're doing when you're doing X3 is you're getting, because you like cardio, cardio athletes have very, usually very low bone mass uh, for, for their given health and age and everything like that. I mean, they might not be osteoporotic, but they're lower than they should be. Yeah. And I actually think that that is a, um, product of like, for instance, my, uh, bone mass is excellent, but I also do cross training, but it's more about the fuel that they're putting into their body. So a person who does a lot of cardio is typically putting in a different type of fuel than somebody who is more on the strength training side of things. And I, I think that is what's responsible for the bone density, because if you think about it, that impact, um, on the, on your bones should actually strengthen it. And if you're giving it the proper fuel, then it should make for stronger bones. So I think it comes down to what the types of foods that these different athletes are eating. So to stimulate any bone density growth at all, you need to exceed 4.2 multiples of body weight. So cardio gets nowhere near there, not even close. Maybe one, uh, I think uh, I've read one study that was 1.3 uh, multiples by the way, another 1.7. So, and then of course, with the cortisol going up, that diminishes bone density. And there's a lot of research that shows that uh, sprinters will get uh, a higher level of bone density because that impact is higher. But I, I mean, this is what I did right. my PhD dissertation in. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. The impact of for runners specifically bikers, obviously that's that's little to no impact, but yeah. 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 So yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, also like I, I had people tell me like what they're doing for their bone density. And, you know, it's like, do I, do I really want to like pop their balloon right now? And, yes, I think you should. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah, that's not going to do anything. But, you know, like, they're excited and they want to tell me. And it all depends on the context of the conversation. I'm like, all right, should I really ruin this person's day or not? Uh, but, yeah, um, there's a lot of unfortunate instruction in fitness. Yeah, like the like that we're going to exercise for bone density. You know, unless you're going outrageously heavy, uh, and this is what OsteoStrong is for, and to a small degree, X3, like X3 won't get you anywhere near the bone stimulus that OsteoStrong will. Uh, mm. But the um, you need to go far beyond the 4.2 multiples of body weight to make a significant impact. And that's not that's not what any type of running is going to do. Like a, a, a gymnast will get 10 times their body weight from a dismount uh, of the uneven bars. So they may be mm-hmm. dropping 10 feet. Well, you know, m- most people, most post-menop- like postmenopausal population are over, even over 50 males. Some of them couldn't jump off of a curb without hurting themselves, let alone drop 10 feet. So... Yeah. What we need is the benefit of the dropping without the risk. 
what well, yeah without the right without the load that could potentially break a bone yeah, of um the yeah. impact i guess so this is actually really pertinent especially for women and i'm a huge advocate for women's health and as you probably know and have seen as a researcher uh women especially of childbearing age who experience a hormone cycle are largely left out of the clinical research because they're very lousy research subjects because of the fact that they're consistently changing biochemically um, their hormone levels and even their neurochemistry over the course of a month, which is why they're kind of controlled out of these a lot of these clinical studies. So that means that for women specifically who osteoporosis impacts more often, uh, and bone density issues in general, and also, you know, muscle wasting issues in general affect women more mm -hmm. often. All of these recommendations that are out there are based on research that are done majority, if not all on men and postmenopausal women. So that being said, those recommendations are not appropriate for women of childbearing age who actually right. need this information more than men do. So where, what, what should a woman do, you know, if they're, you know, they're, they're premenopausal. So they're still in their childbearing age where they're experiencing a hormone cycle. Maybe they don't have any bone density issues yet, but what are your recommendations for folks to maintain the bone density that they have or build their bone density before they get to the age where it becomes a problem. You, you said the most brilliant thing, it's building it before you get to an age where you start losing it. Mm, yeah. yeah, that's that's exactly the way to go because when you build bone density, you know how long it lasts in the body? You're gonna like this. Mm -mm, actually, no. It, it lasts. It lasts thirty years. Wow! I really yeah. love that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of research on it. So, like people with an athletic background in their forties and fifties, not so much in the twenties, because you know, thirty years goes by and you're really not old yet. Yeah. Uh, or you're not. You're not elderly. You're not frail. Uh, but if you're active in your forties and fifties, and you get a high level of impact or you do things like X3 and osteo strong and, and may, maybe like jump type training. Uh, Cause there, there are people who remain conditioned so that they can receive uh, high, higher impact. Mm -hmm. And like, I know a couple of former gymnasts who just never really got injured, who I, I attached an accelerometer to and looked at how much force they could put through their bone mass, through their hip joint. And they were at six multiples of their body weight, just wow. like jumping off of like benches at the park. But and, he, and these women were in their fifties and sixties, but they were super athletic before. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, now that we know what the triggers are and what the minimum dose response is, that, that helps us. Mm, yeah and uh, yeah and so that's that's the recommendation is you have to have that stimulus and then you, what you do is gonna is gonna serve you for 30 years right so most so people, if somebody yeah so if somebody is at a point where they don't necessarily have issues but they want to build their bone density um 
how long would it be or how long does it take to actually build that bone density that would last 30 years? From what I've seen for the most part, about two years. So people mm -hmm. can go to OsteoStrong for two years, get to a higher level of bone density, and then they don't need to do it again. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know that the biohackers listening are like, oh, okay. Their ears just perked yeah. up because they're looking for ways to optimize their routines so that sure. these things can last longer and they could have greater longevity. Right. Now with musculature, there's a different metabolic rate. Mm. Uh, and so like you, you, you can build a lot of muscle with X3, but you got to keep doing X3. Right. So in the, the building phase of muscle versus the maintaining phase of muscle with X3, are they different or is the protocol the same? Is it always three times a week doing your specific protocol or routine that you have? Um, or do you do it more often when you're building and then the maintenance phase can be less? Building versus maintenance really has more to do with your nutrition. If you mm. want to build muscle, you have one gram per pound of body weight and you do X3 and muscles grow. If you want to just get leaner and maintain what you have, you cut that protein about in half. So you have one half of a gram per pound of body weight. So I weigh 240 pounds. I try and get, I mean, just, just, just to round it off, you know, mm -hmm. 250 grams of protein a day or, or equivalent. There's a bacterial fermentation product I use that gives you sort of the equivalent of normal food, uh, 50 grams, but it's actually only 10 grams. Uh, but it's, it's all essential amino acids made with fermentation with different mm. fermentation uh, cultures. Yeah. So I use a fermented version of, um, BCAAs personally for my recovery, um, do you have a favorite type of protein and can you explain for folks who maybe don't understand, uh, the fermented protein versus other types, what's the difference and why do you choose fermented? Uh, yeah. When you take a protein supplement, it's not fermented. You're, you're not getting a lot of value out of it. Uh, like whey protein is only usable by the body, uh, 18%. The rest of it is secreted. Uh, in night in form of nitrogen so you can see you have whey protein and then you urinate and your, your urine's got a lot of foam in it you know a lot of bubbles in it and that that's evidence of nitrogen mm. so why why consume something that goes through you in form of waste uh for the most part so what I take is, uh, you know, full disclosure, I manufacture this, but I manufactured it and developed it because all the products in the market were pretty bad and pretty useless. So uh, Fortigen gives me a, a high level of essential amino acids that are made with fermentation, which the body can use. See, we're meant to eat rotting stuff. Mm. We're meant to, to consume bacterial byproduct, but because of sanitation, we don't, and we've lost that, 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 and that's the most efficient protein out there. 
So we're only left, like if we were looking for quality protein, we're only left with animal products. So like I, I, I tell, I tell vegans, you know, if they, if they want to, if they want to continue to be vegan, uh, you know, I, I first try and talk them out of that, but that's like trying to talk somebody <laughs> out of the religion. Uh, so it's like, okay, this is not made of animals and it's not made of plants either. It's made out of bacteria. And once the bacteria naturally dies, then you're left with different essential amino acids that can be combined in the proper proportion so that you can grow all the lean tissue you need. You can repair and recover everything you need in the body uh, with a very low caloric impact. So like I'll have, I'll have the equivalent of 200 grams of protein and I get people try and argue with me about this all the time. Uh, but it's the, uh, it's, it's only four calories per serving and that's four servings. So 16 calories in a day gives me almost all of my protein. And then I'll eat like a pound of meat, uh, you know, just cause I don't want to have nothing. Now I do, I do, <laughs> so, I do fast for 72 hours a week. Uh, so okay. Are, I was going to say, so you could have that, you could still have that protein during a fast and not necessarily um, break your fast. Correct. Okay, cool. Right. You need 50 calories to break a fast. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that would be a great tool, I think, for um, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast who frequently fast and sometimes do very long periods of fasting. Um, and I am not a, um, purist when it comes to fasting. I think that you can still have, um, some calories, uh, like you said, I keep it under 50. Usually I keep it under 30 if I'm going to have anything. So I may have a little bit of bone broth, or I may have a yeah. little bit of MCT oil, um, but not ever going past that, um, caloric intake to get out of the fasting right. zone. Yeah. Fasting has become a little bit like veganism where somebody will, somebody will say like, wait a minute, you had bone broth during your fast. Oh, yeah. You're like, not a real faster. Should, yeah. Oh, they even say meaner <laughs> stuff like in some of the fitness forms. It's like you should kill yourself. Like, oh, oh my God. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The fitness industry <laughs> is, uh, yeah, they're full of some, uh, those, those discussion forums are full of some very angry, well, jealousy driven people. You hurt their feelings because you tried to take away their gym days. <laughs> it's it, it it's very strange. I get I get people are angry because the company's successful. They're angry because I tell them they're wasting time at the gym. And my response is, if you don't like my you know my advice, two things to keep in mind. One is you don't have to take my advice. Like you know, there's still flat yeah. earthers out there. There's still people who believe the world is flat and nobody is trying to take their club away from them. They have an organization. Uh, but, but also, um, all I'm presenting is science. Like, like, why would you be mad about that? Like it's where we started the show. Like a scientific <laughs> finding is a scientific finding. Like, and, and I, I, I put, almost all of my uh, energy into finding others who have come to scientific conclusions. I'm referencing papers. There's, you know, in weightlifting is a waste of time. There's 250 academic references. 
And there's mm. 250 academic references because I'm saying, you don't have to believe me. You don't need to believe me. This isn't my opinion. This isn't my feeling. This isn't my summation. This is the words of other researchers who had no conflict of interest when they did this research. And, you know, you, you can't really argue with a scientific finding unless you have a different scientific finding that is in conflict. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's a wacky world we live in these days. Um, I think that it, whether you're looking at valid research or whether you're actually highlighting the evidence base of something, if it goes against somebody's um, perspective or opinion or programming, um, it's very triggering. And so you just to understand, uh, I understand very deeply uh, the psychology of how people behave, human behavior, why they choose those behaviors. And yeah. so um, it's more of, you know, if somebody gets angry with you about your, the science that you're presenting, um, sure. it's not about you, nor is it about the science, it's about that person, you know? So yeah, sure. those, those reactions yeah. come from the person themselves and their experiences yeah. and what, what has, um, what has led to them being the person that they are. So I try to always remember that. And I just, you know, it makes me have a lot more compassion and then a lot more patience for folks who maybe don't want to, um, sure. don't want to accept the science. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a, I, I, here's, here's another one. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to take the, take the show in a political direction, <laughs> but it happens like, sometimes <laughs> like, um, Alexandra Cortez wanted to make it illegal. I mean, I think that was the word she used, which is kind of silly in regards to like how universities work, but like no one would be allowed to do research on climate change anymore because it's settled. Mm. And, and it's like, what are you afraid of? Like, <laughs> why would you say that if you're so sure about your position? And, uh, you know, it's because it's, because there's 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 a conflict there, and there's there's all kinds of of problems with uh, with that, but they don't want any skepticism anymore. And it's like, why why would we why would we stop wanting to learn and blindly follow? Mm. Like, yeah, and I think people forget that science is also a practice. Um, science, you know, ends up being called fact until like you said another scientific finding comes out that makes right. that fact it replaces that fact with a new fact and yeah. so um if people look at it more in that way then they maybe won't have such a strong reaction to it and right. you know if you believe very strongly against a scientific finding well anyone has the ability to become a researcher themselves and try to yeah. uncover the evidence base for whatever your theory is. Sure. Yeah. Anyone, so, literally anyone can do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Peer-reviewed journals do not care about your credentials. That's true. You can, they just, yeah. Matt, they care yeah. about quality science, quality research. Yeah. Did you use the right statistical test? I, you know, I'm sure there's people mm -hmm. who try and submit stuff where they didn't use any statistical tests at all. Yeah, that's a problem. Uh, you know, it's just like, okay. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, 
Oh yeah, so, it's fun. Yeah. Being a researcher is is a fun um, career path, I think, because you get to you get to use science as a tool to uncover the truth about your own theories and the things that you're interested in. And I say truth lightly because of what we just talked about, but uh, the truth for now, I guess you could say. So I'm a big fan. And I think that everyone um, could benefit from learning at least at the very least, if you don't want to do research yourself, um, at least understand what makes a quality research peer reviewed article versus one that there are um, bias involved and so kind of looking at looking at how the research was done if it's high quality research and and who was funding it who conducted the research and the purpose for why it was done is really important to understanding if the findings are relevant and something you should believe honestly right hey and and like you know that that's completely goes into the nutrition uh, research like like there's not enough margin in the meat industry so that they can fund any any research it's a very low mm-hmm. margin business but yeah. carbohydrates uh derived from wheat and seed based products seed, seed based material raw material are literally cheaper than dirt and like i, I think i read somewhere that triscuits have a 600 percent margin Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. You That's know the little cracker? Yeah. Like, yeah, you put like yeah. cheese on it or whatever. 600% yeah. margin. It's so, crazy. The... Right. So there's a yeah. huge business there. Yeah. And they're paying. And like I said, they want everybody to go vegan because they know vegans are not eating kale all day long. They're eating cookies and crackers and, uh, you know, health candy bars which are really just candy bars, uh, really just candy bars without milk in them. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. a travesty and everyone's getting sicker and weaker. Uh, you know, we have two, the two greatest drivers of long life that are irrefutable thus far. Uh, so there's no conflicting research is what I mean on, mm-hmm. on uh, when it comes to these two things is high levels of strength and low levels of body fat are the two mm. greatest drivers of living a long life. Do vegans mm. have either of those? No. Maybe some of them. <laughs> uh, uh, the fruitarians have a low level of body fat, yeah. but they're so devastated from a muscular strength standpoint. Like so, yeah, I, I saw a guy couldn't do a push-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he's actually recovering now. He he realized he made a mistake with his with his nutrition, and uh, he almost died. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, he he's recovering from that now. Yeah, well, it's interesting because we, you know, just like everybody knows, there's big pharma, right? So big pharma yeah. is running the medical industry. And they don't have the individual's health in mind. They have money in mind. And yeah. to that same note big food is the other industry that runs the world, especially the 
um, United States specifically. Uh, big food oh, is another industry that yep. does not have nutrition in mind as the goal. The goal is money. So they engineer foods to be addictive and they engineer foods to lack nutrition to, um, you know, kind of in a way to keep you sick. And so it is unfortunate um, yeah. that these kind of the, the biggest powers in the world uh, you know, don't have our health and well-being in mind with their products. Yeah, quite the opposite. They have the opposite yeah. of our health and well-being in mind. Right. And that's yeah. why we should be educated, um, you know, for ourselves and become our own health experts. And I think that does require um, some level of scientific knowledge and understanding. So um, yeah. I'm happy that we could highlight that in this discussion. And I know we went into the political side of it a little bit, but it's fun for sure. me to talk about because I don't often get to talk about the minutia of research with a fellow researcher. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you know, I, you know, who, who is the only people who are going to change the world when it comes to these, these, you right. You're, you're like pharma and, and, and food industry are, really the people who are listening to this podcast mm -hmm. like if you mm -hmm. take the time and i i've said the same thing to ben greenfield and dave asprey uh the people who take the time to really learn how these things work even if they understand one tenth of it and they realize what's healthy and what's not and they mm -hmm. and, they, and they question what they've been told all of a sudden it all falls apart because the answers are really obvious once you become educated but there's just so much money into misleading them. I still hear daily that, you know, when, when somebody says, oh, yeah, you want to you wanna meet up for breakfast? And I say, yeah, you know, let's, uh, let's just do coffee. Like, I don't, I don't need breakfast. And they say, well, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think anybody listening to this podcast believes that. So I think right. we're good. There. Right, <laughs> that's been, that's been yeah. so debunked. And, uh, and, and so, but it's only, it's only the listeners that are going to change the world. Yeah, it's, it's not true. you and me. It's the people who are listening right now, mm -hmm. like because yeah. because they're we are we are a, a, an extreme minority, but the listeners are not, and right. that can be a tidal wave of understanding that you know the food industry cannot get by. You know, when enough right. people are like, "Yeah, we're being lied to," like just yeah. don't listen to that. You know, like yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that um, radical change begins with the individual and, um, you know, the collective of individuals. Um, and that is, you know, just everyday people living their lives and trying to be healthier and trying to educate themselves and make the best choices for themselves and their family. So I think you're absolutely right. And Radical change does begin with every one of the listeners. And I know that the listeners of this podcast I've interacted with a lot of them and they are, you know, self-educated and they are, um, they are taking control and ownership over their health. So it's really, really nice to see that there is a large community of people out there, um, you know, a lot in the biohacking community as well, who are um, taking the reins for themselves and not relying on these big businesses to make their health decisions for them. So yeah. I think it's, there is a positive shift happening and it, it also comes back to 
things like this conversation that I think really empower people. So I'm, I'm very grateful that you were able to share your knowledge with us today. And I, I have one question that I wanted to ask you that I ask all of my podcast guests. Um, mm-hmm. And it has to do with overall health and well-being. So maybe this is something you already talked about today with me, or maybe it's something completely different. But if you had just one piece of tangible advice for the listeners that they could apply to their lives today to have the overall greatest impact on their health and wellness, what would that be? It would be approaching things. It's a simplified version of what we've been talking about. Just approach it with an open mind. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't, you can't let yourself fall into a dogma, you know, or, or dogmatic thought process. Like, breakfast is the most important meal of the day or uh what you know meat causes cancer or uh you know if you want to live a long time you need to be a vegan like uh i i do think as we learn more of it in a way i'm glad that um so many vegans have gone have gone vegan so we re- we're really going to see what happens uh, and like, we, we would never be able to ethically ask somebody to not eat meat in a, in a study, but if they volunteer to do it and their health collapses and we observe it, I believe that veganism will be put on the list with bulimia and anorexia is eating disorders and psychological disorders in the future. Uh, but that's of course my opinion. I can certainly provide a lot of scientific evidence that points in that direction, but I can't say that definitively. It's just what I'm, you know, mm-hmm. saying. And why, why am I making that outrageous statement? Because that's a, certainly an outrageous statement. Uh, because I want people to have an open mind. Yeah. Well, if nothing else, I think you are sparking some curiosity, which is great. I'm a big fan of being curious and going and looking at the research for yourself and um, doing self-experimentations. And like you said, um, whatever is best for your body will be evident once you start experimenting with yourself. And so it's, I think it comes down to a matter of um, listening to your body and understanding what your body needs and trying to really hone in on those cues. Um, Like for instance, if you have an ache or if you have a headache, or if you have a upset stomach, or if you have, um, you know, diarrhea, these are not just normal parts of life. These are significant clues and cues that your body is giving you that something's not working. So um, I think if people started listening to their bodies a little bit more to, uh, to actually create their own evidence base of what works for them, um, then everybody would be a lot more healthy. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so what's what's next for you and what's next for X3 Bar and where can the listeners connect with you if they're interested in learning more about what, you, what you've got going on? Well, I'm always working on different biomedical engineering projects. Uh, there are some things not right around the corner, but uh, coming out in the next in the next year that will be huge advancements. Uh, huge advancements in data collection, understanding uh, of, of what we're doing, better, better monitoring of the body, showing people how they can really control their physiology. 
that that's very important. Uh, people people being able to have better measures on the results to keep keep them motivated. I, I really I don't like this trend where I see people online are looking at pictures of outrageously fit people and calling it motivation. That's demotivating. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're looking at pictures of some of the greatest outliers out there. Like be the better you. Yeah. Don't don't try and look like like I don't care how hard I try. I'm not gonna look like um, uh, some of these some of these uh, newer fitness kind of physique stars like Jeremy Buendia, for example, four time Mister Olympia. Guy's got a 28 inch waist. Like his bones are in a different proportion than mine are. Nothing I can do about that. I'm also not going to be in the NBA because yeah. I'm six feet tall. Like I'm too short. Like so, it's like you know you got you got to keep that, that in mind. Don't motivate yourself by looking at pictures of other people. Motivate yourself by having discipline every day. Get through every day and stick to your principles. Discipline is way more important than motivation. Mm. Uh, you know, and so and so that's where the the company is going is is helping people build discipline. Mm. Uh, and there's there's we've got a, a number of tools for that uh in all, all kinds of other things uh right around the corner now if people want to find me uh i put a i put a landing page so you can find what whatever direction of me you want to you want to go to so facebook instagram my youtube channel uh and my various different websites just go to drj.com d-o-c-t-o-r the letter j.com Great. Um, I think the listeners will be very interested to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing and what you're researching. I certainly am interested and um, definitely would love to keep in touch as a fellow researcher and working in the same field to um, understand what what the new innovations are that are coming out is especially in the areas of fitness and um, and biohacking. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us Kayla, today. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Such a fun conversation. I appreciate you. Awesome. I appreciate you. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the BioCurious Podcast. If you want to support the show, the best way to do so is to five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you liked this episode and know somebody who 